I'm Russell. And this is Old News. Hello, it's good to be back. Yeah. And this is our very first attempt at Old News Back in the News. <laughs> A cheesy clip show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, know, well. you know all those awful episodes of sitcoms you always avoided. <laughs> this is our version yeah. of that. Yeah. When the writers were on holiday. And, yeah. Uh, or just I, felt lazy. Well, are you planning to use some old footage? At some point, I'm going to. So, yeah. but I do have some stored up. Yeah funny or just that didn't seem to quite fit with the rest of the episode that kind of thing oh so we might do like a random bits and bob thing to bond in the future an actual clip episode yeah but this one is us going through our old episodes and bringing in updates well that's right because one of the things we kind of noticed about the stories that we've done is that they tend to be stories that hadn't gone away completely and so as I've kind of looked at the news and read things as we've been doing the episodes, really interesting to see how many times you think, oh yeah that would have gone really well in that episode we did a few months back, you know, so it'd be interesting to revisit some of the uh, stories. Yeah. It's old news. I can't believe you've told me to put a sock in it. <laughs> Continuing our adventures, how, how would we put this? Innovations. Innovations in recording. audio technology. So, before we started doing the podcast, we bought some pretty decent microphones. Mm-hmm. Still, I mean, they're not, they weren't dead expensive, but pretty decent ones. But the problem has always been that they don't have a cover on them. There is a word for There's that. There's a proper word it? for There's that. A, sort of, something guard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like yeah. a mesh guard. To stop the horrible p and d. That sort of explosive sounds. Yeah. So our. Well, stop gap to, yeah. to solve this is to put a sock over both microphones. <laughs> well, you see, when I did the little introduction of the last episode, excuse I put me my while voice... I excuse me while I sniffed the microphone. <laughs> They're clean. It's fresh. It came out of my drawer. Um, I used a woolly jumper, but a woolly jumper's slight overkill, I think. Right. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do because what are we going to buy that in any way covers that or? I I wonder if Blue, the company who makes these microphones, do something that can attach to the stand in some way? Possibly, yeah. This advert was brought to you on behalf of Blue. (laughs) (laughs) They're not paying for us for this. That's true, yeah. No one else has paid us for anything either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, despite our clicking to say, please append an advert, no advert seems to be forthcoming. No. So, if it does this time, please purchase their goods and or services. We strongly support them. <laughs> Unless it's some kind of political advert. In which we might be qualified support. Yeah. <laughs> During the American election, I did get some Trump adverts. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. where obviously the localization algorithms failed. Uh-huh. They didn't realise I wasn't in America. Right. But, uh, yeah. Quite a few of my podcasts suddenly got Trump adverts. That's bizarre. Mm. On my podcast, I've only had endless adverts for movies, you know, long right. movie trailers and things. I've had quite a few car adverts and often local ones. So for local, well, chains, Dealer, dealerships, dealerships yeah, that, yeah, that do have local yeah. northeast oh, well, branches. Well, at, least, yeah. at least that works. Mm. Yeah. E, honey, it's old newsman. Talking about cars. Uh, 
My God. My how, God. How slick was that? That was very good. It was. That was a very good seg. Russell's car dramas continue. So I ordered the new car, is, is I let you know, and it arrived. And I went to the garage and they did the whole bit where they do all the paperwork and then they present the car to you. This is the latest thing that you go see the car and it's got a cover on it. And the, you take the cover off and go, ta-da, it's that a car. That is so cheesy. It is My inc- new car didn't get that. It is incredibly cheesy. But I think this is something that's come from Tesla, because they've been doing that just recently. So I think all the other big manufacturers have decided this is what they're going to do. Anyway, it's broken. Brand new car, out the factory, it's broken. So it needs to be fixed. I'm not going to get it for another week, and i I'm just beside myself with annoyance. What strikes me is that I imagine this fault was probably known about from the factory, but their production schedules probably override everything else. There'd be no time for fixing quality problems. You just get rid of the car and then let the dealers at the bottom take the hit. Yeah, I reckon that that's the score. Well, there, there is two sort of opposing theories in car manufacture. One is that's exactly what you do, and the other is you check the car before it leaves the factory. Check. Very good. Because <laughs> uh, this, funnily enough, this is what Rover used to do. So when Rover was owned by British Aerospace, so it was essentially independent, and they had build quality problems to overcome those, what they did was they checked every car that came out and any problem got sent back into the factory to be fixed before it was sent to the dealerships. Right. And BMW, when they bought Rover, thought, what the hell is this? Which is surprising for BMW, really. You'd think they would be doing... But no, they were quite happy to send faulty cars to the dealerships and let the dealerships... Mm. The dealerships would check them so that you wouldn't get faulty cars going to customers. Customers, yeah, which is what's happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that Skoda, obviously... I wonder if part of this was they let me me drive off the forecourt, at which point it definitely is my car. Yeah. The moment I've gone across the boundary... And you've signed all the documents and yeah, things. Yeah, I just wonder if that's what's happened. But it's so frustrating if that's the case. Because the problem is that I'm starting to see boogeymen everywhere. You know, yeah. Everybody's a bad guy. I've spent a lot of money. Give me my damn car. <laughs> it's old news. You can contact old news on our website www.oldnews.podbean.com you can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com you can search for Old News Podcast on Facebook you can tweet us at Old News Pod and you can search for us on YouTube we're basically going to do is go through our episodes pretty much in chronological order and in a way that hopefully will stimulate people's memories and yeah. uh, you know. will engage and excite you yes 
<laughs> well, we always engage in the exciting. That's our A1 priority on the Old News Podcast. Everybody remembers, I, I assume, our first episode about the shuttle and North Korea. So we'll just talk about the space shuttle first. I must apologise at this kind of distance, at the terrible moment where I was exceptionally patronising on that podcast. I said something really rude, and a lot of the listeners didn't like it. So really, I can't. Yeah, remember. well, I was trying to be self-deprecating and kind of just saying, "Oh, well, I'm sure the listeners know more about this than I do." But it just came across really patronising. So okay, <laughs> I think I owe an apology to the uh, the listeners about that. One thing I wanted to mention was: Have you come across the X thirty seven? The sort of little mini unmanned... Unmanned space shuttle, shuttle yeah. yeah. Which is launched on top of the Delta V rocket. It's owned by the US Department of Defence, and we don't know what it's for. No. Mm. They have like extraordinarily long missions as well. Mm. The last mission was from May 2015 to May 2017 before it landed. But I didn't realise the actual shape was based on the design for the shuttle orbiter. Is it? Yeah, so it has very similar characteristics despite being a bit smaller. And the original design was the X-40, I think, which was designed to be mounted inside of the shuttle bay. So, space shuttleception. <laughs> space shuttle inside of space, space shuttle. shuttle. And the idea was meant to go and grab satellites and things but the civilian bit of that sort of went out the window and the Department of Defence took it on it's interesting that that sort of design's still knocking round obviously with it being unmanned it's a little less critical about you know we're not going to kill anybody the other bit I wanted to talk about with that episode was the more recent thing with SpaceX and their announcement of the so-called BFR which is the big frickin' rocket oh, okay yeah, yeah or well, whatever the F stands for. Well, it isn't that really childish. It is, yes. I'm a little bit bored of Elon Musk and his childish names for things. Anyway, like ludicrous mode on the Tesla, and mm. that's all a bit strange. But this idea they've got a they've got this design for a very large rocket, which is for a mission to Mars, is the ideal. Mm-hmm. Sort of, or the idea. But in the big announcement for it, you've also got the big rocket with a big reusable bit on top, which looks a bit like a super duper large space shuttle. And in part of the kind of the announcement for this is going to be our rocket that takes us to Mars and also brings fuel and supplies and everything on that mission, they're also talking about using it for point to point travel on the Earth okay. and saying that, you know, any point to any point in the Earth, like in, is it 45 or 50 minutes or something? So hypersonic travel. Travel, essentially. Sounds like a space shuttle to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it has all the problems of re-entry. Yeah. You know what it is? I just don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Yeah, it's not practical. If there's some massive evolution in the the technology for the thermal shielding and all that, it's not going to need massive refurbishment every time you bring it down through the atmosphere. But then Virgin are doing their thing. Now, obviously, that's nowhere near the complexity of sending something into space through over to Sydney and back down again they're just going up into space for five minutes and coming down again well it is it one is the development of the other well yes but okay there's a bit of an argument about where does space start Mm -hmm. because aren't 
sort of Virgin Galactic. The, what they're talking about is going over the Kármán line. Uh, is that a hundred kilometers? I think. Mm-hmm. But isn't the only reason why that level is set for space is it was a political thing in the sixties, so that the pilots of the X fifteen could get their astronaut get, wings. Get the astronaut wings, and it was a bit of a coup over the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people say, well, it's not really space. It's still the very kind of upper reaches yeah. of the atmosphere. Yeah. I don't really know what they're proposing with, in terms of the altitude, what they're proposing with, with the BFR. Mm-hmm. It just struck me as being fraught. And the other thing, actually, so the also Concorde, right? If you're talking about something that takes off, gets to enormous speed, and then comes back down and goes through those enormous speeds and slows back down again you're talking about sonic booms mm-hmm. quite substantially so again your routes are limited uh, but this is American <coughs> so they, they won't limit it the, the way they did the Anglo-French Concorde Oh, after Boeing and McDonnell Douglas cancelled their projects well the, the government cancelled their projects because the, mm. they cut the funding in fairness I know the British and the French have this attitude that the Americans killed Concorde, but like, the British public weren't terribly happy about having sonic booms overhead either. There was genuinely problems with that. I can imagine the people who lived in and around New York just generally getting rather bored. I think it's a legitimate objection. Yeah. I just like winding people up a bit. About it. Well, getting my... Uh, soapbox about Concord. I still think the real, real enemy there are actually the French. What? Uh, yeah, the French, the <laughs> enemy. <laughs> well, despite the fact that a lot of the actual the aerodynamic work, well, it was actually French, wasn't it? The their project was actually a little bit more advanced than ours when when they merged them. Air France's operation of the Concorde was largely incompetent, and it was no surprise that there was an Air France Concorde that came out of the sky with an almost terrible death and consequences. But the uh, Hand Air France already almost lost a couple of Concordes a few years earlier through they didn't know where the center of gravity was. Yeah. Because they hadn't loaded the baggage in a way that they knew what was what. Yeah, they, and they very nearly lost control mid-flight, mm-hmm. and they did keep overloading them as well. There was no recorded cases of that with the Brits, and like, less we were covering it up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Supersonic, hypersonic transport. See also nuclear fusion, flying cars. Another thirty years. Hovercraft. Yeah, mm-hmm. another thirty years. Yeah. Old news. Let's talk about North Korea. So, one or two things have happened in North Korea. <laughs> so, there's just been like another series of missile tests at a regular basis, mm-hmm. and they're constantly putting splashes into the Sea of Japan. More worryingly, over the top of Japan first. Well, Twi- twice now? Yeah. Twice have done that? Which obviously irritates Japan so Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, I have a certain amount of sympathy with Japan on those issues, yeah. but obviously, Japan's ability to rattle the saber at Korea is limited, yep. militarily and politically, because obviously they have history in Korea, which isn't terribly happy. So we've got this terrible belligerence from North Korea. I still don't believe they can deliver a missile anywhere. I don't believe they can deliver one either to the range they're saying. Or accurately, 
or with a, an actual nuclear tip on it. I think they're a little yeah. better than fireworks, and if one goes over Japan, it's luck. Yeah. Maybe it's what that's... they've got is something that's really quite basic that they can just keep doing at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do say the reliability has increased, you know, yeah. and, and people have been surprised by their ability to hit the same point over and over again, which, mm. which sort of hasn't happened before. But we still need to consider is like who the audience really is, like whether they're actually making a genuine threat or whether it's just sort of reckless noise-making. I still think it's noise-making, even if it is terribly reckless. Yeah, it's totally uh, just noise-making. Yeah. And I'm not convinced. Trump's response was to put a show of force on, right? And they had two carrier groups go past North Korea. So it was like a big show of naval power. And I'm not convinced that achieved much either. because no, yeah. it's exactly what North Korea want, really. Well, because they can then, yeah. Yeah, they can then play that to their internal audience, their, the, the population, and say, oh, look, the Americans are putting two carrier groups off our coast. We'd better keep firing missiles. I can understand the American politics because the Obama administration sort of, theirs was a handoffs approach, wasn't it? And sort of largely just saying to China, to your backyard, mate, just get on with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wouldn't respond. And I can see why a lot of Americans found that humiliating. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not doing their bit to slap down people who are, who are being threatening. To me, you know, the way to do it is to kind of just public support China. I'm not a great fan of China, but their response was to offer improved relations to North Korea and offer improved relations to the Republic of Korea. To me, that makes sense because that's kind of triangulating their position and and making them look silly. But in the meantime, North Korea has been posting annual growth figures of their GDP of 5%, right? which is really good. right? Well done, North Korea. right? If like, it's true. Right? Well... So far as we can tell, but there's no reason to not believe because there is some like loosening up around the edges of economic activity and, you know, there's oil gets imported and timber gets exported. We can measure certain things. Mm. People have seen on the ground in North Korea, certainly in Pyongyang, people's standard of living has improved slightly, right? So we need to be, we the West, I think, we just need to be supporting China to make North Korea into a new, I don't know, a new Vietnam, you know, a new Cambodia, a developing country with perhaps with problems, uh, with problems and with an authoritarian government. I'd rather see the people of North Korea not starve, mm. even if we still have to keep the Kims in place. We should be pursuing that rather than just allowing the worst aspects of the Kim regime to amplify itself and then ratchet the tension by pointing guns at them. You just need to surround them silently and then allow China to do its work. I'm not convinced the threat is real. I think Hawaii doing nuclear civilian defence exercises is particularly useful. It's just alarmist. Yeah. It's alarmist and it's, it smacks of propaganda. Old news. Let's move on to the next one. So we're going to try and keep the pace going. Uh, We did an episode about the alternative vote referendum, which was perhaps the forgotten referendum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kind Uh, of the forgotten episode as well, to be fair. Did you see the petition that was put up about a debate in Parliament? Yes, I think Um, I signed it, actually. Yeah, and it did get through, didn't it? So they had a Westminster Hall debate. 
mm. which in Westminster Hall, if anybody doesn't know, is like a second room in the Parliament where they have unimportant debates. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think the votes in them are binding in any way. They're mm. just sort of, it's a bit of a talking shop. Yeah. And the government kind of said, well, it's not our priority at the minute which is fine. The whole EV referendum has killed it as a political issue. There's been a lot of talk as an alternative about reform of the House of Lords, Yeah, which I think, although I'm in favour of voting reform, I think I would be happy to pursue Lords reform as a more achievable thing. Mind you, we've been talking about Lords reform since, I don't know, 1912. (laughs) If I'm absolutely honest, I'm very torn about Lords reform. As a Democrat, I feel I should be supporting the idea of an elected upper house. And it, it is a bit crazy that in the, the birthplace of democracy, of parliamentary democracy, we still have a non-elected chamber. Yeah, but, but there's, there's certain reforms are achievable, right? We can just get rid of the hereditaries. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it amazes me we still have hereditary lords that still, you know... But then are appointed sit. lords... Is that better, really? Well, I mean, the, I know so far okay, we're getting lords, away with it by having governments that were willing to appoint reasonably fairly. But the lords, the lords have been embarrassingly competent, exactly, over and over again. That's right? that's my problem. And most of them are appointed lords, mm-hmm. so they're holding the sway. The reason why this is an easy reform is because the hereditary part is just a small part, and it is nonsensical, and it's an anachronism, so just be gone with it, right? Whereas, you know, the appointed part, I think the big thing we need to think about the appointed part is the overall size of the lords. I think we should have an option for, like, mandatory retirement in the lords. You know, whenever a new government comes into power, that they appoint another 150 lords for their party just so like they've got the numbers yeah and now we've got a chamber of how many 900 and something people yeah it's mad right we should maybe be giving people give people the peerage the title you're a life peer but you've only got a right to sit in the house for 30 years and you can't just be there forever you're there until you're 75 Something like that. Yeah, yeah, like make it age restricted or something like that. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about the Lord Spiritual, the bishops? Yeah, yeah. get rid of them. That's just another anachronism. That's another anachronism. Isn't it? You know, of, I suppose, having a state-appointed religion and all of this. But Like saying all this, utterly agree. But what you just said about them being embarrassingly competent, it's entirely true. When you have the situation of the unelected chamber of parliament being the defenders of democracy, which they have been in the past. But democracy is not just having elections. It's not just having... Oh, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. getting to. Yeah. They've protected things like human rights, and I, I, can't, I can't think well, of all uh, the different things, but they've stepped in... Said Nin- to the government of the day, no, yeah. go away, think again, which an elected house might not have because it would like you get yeah. in other countries, there's almost no point having two houses because if they're both ran by the same party, they just vote everything through all the time. Yeah, that's right, but I still think there's a place for the, un- the unelected portion. I've come round to that. Or it's acceptable for the time being in lieu of like a massive radical reform which we're not going to achieve but I still think that it's good that we have people of different walks of life of different specialisms, of different skills mm-hmm. 
in in the Lords. Yeah, you know? and that they're not career politicians. Yeah, not almost all lawyers. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And the big advantage of the Lords as it is is the cross bench. I think we forget how valuable the cross bench is. Some of the best criticism of the government comes from the cross bench. You know, people who are ex judges, scientists, whatever, who decide to sit as independents. You know, just the, for our foreign listeners, yeah. the cross bench are people who aren't affiliated with any particular party. Yeah, they're neither government nor opposition. opposition yeah. yeah. So I think that debate is quite live, and while the Brexit thing balls away, obviously nothing is ever going to Nothing's going to happen. But I think once that happens, I think Lords reform is something that will come back, and you know I think that's where the kind of democratisation debate will go rather than PR. Old news. Cloning. My favourite episode. Yeah, my favourite episode as well. Yeah, I really enjoy the cloning debate. So we've had our decennial. (laughs) Is that the word? Every ten years we get the whole cloning mammoths thing and it made an appearance on the BBC just recently, a couple of months ago. We're going to be cloning Russian mammoths. So presumably Boris the Mammoth, Vladimir? <laughs> Definitely Vladimir. Yeah. Well, I don't know what a female mammoth would be called. Hmm. Babushka. <laughs> Is that the only female word, you know? <laughs> that's, that's old woman, isn't it? Babushka. Ivana, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so we've had that. And I thought, you know, we made jokes about it during the episode. And then a few months later... It comes round again. Like, mm-hmm. why are we so obsessed with this? Because we love them. <laughs> but just recently, there's been a new uh, a new thing about cloning dogs in Korea. So a few years ago, they cloned a dog in Korea. Then what they've done is they've recloned it a few more times. Right. So the the original dog was Ty, and then there was Snoopy, and now there's four offspring. Uh, well clones uh over the four one died a couple of days old of diarrhea but this is about the aging thing they they want Mm. to know whether the dogs are aged prematurely so what they've done is is instead of keeping them in the laboratory they've actually fostered these dogs out to families as pets and so they're going to see if there's kind of all the environmental factors and whatever just sort of the random lives that animals live does that affect their age yeah so cloning very much back in the news again it's old news kosovo 28th of november is albania's independence day now presumably is that independence from the ottoman empire yeah it will be yes. will be kosovo have declared that the 28th of november is now going to be a holiday in kosovo okay a long time ago i said that you know serbia talked about having a greater serbia and bringing all the serbian peoples into one country mm-hmm. right? and that was so much of the basis of the aggressive wars yeah civil wars whatever you want to call it a long time ago i said there was this going to be this problem of a greater Great Albania. Albania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, that's exactly the phrase that Belgrade said when they adopted this. They said, This is trying to create a greater Albania. And I've always wondered whether there's like a latent Albanian nationalism in Albania. It'd be very easy for them to sort of become irredentist and say, These are our historical lands we must bring back. Yeah. You know, bring them back into our fold. I think that's very risky it what is. they're playing. For a country that's very tenuous in its existence anyway, mm-hmm. they're playing that game. 
It's yeah. just ethnically divisive. But it's what separatists do, isn't it? Where it is. We've got an opportunity to do this thing. We're going to take it while we've got this opportunity. We're going to we're going to grandstand with this meaningless, really thing that's it, imbu- it, imbued with meaning. That and shouldn't it, yeah, be. and it makes your minority ethnic populations nervous. Yeah, and neighbours. Yeah, and your neighbours. It's just it's so frustrating. I think separatism has to happen occasionally when populations just cannot live with each other anymore. It has to happen. Right? This is just the way it's going to be. So that's fine. But I then expect those countries to be liberal democracies yeah. and protect the rights of their minorities. Mm-hmm. And if countries like Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia, despite the rocky road they've had with respect to the rights of their Russian citizens in their borders, and it's not perfect, but it's infinitely better, they gave them citizenships, they gave them passports, they have the right to speak their languages, etc. Kosovo needs to be playing the game. Yeah. You know, and if it has ambitions for being a fully fledged country, which we in the UK believe it is, you know, we recognise it. They need to be damn it. Oh well that's got us banned in Kosovo. (laughs) I think we were already were. Possibly Albania. Oh dear. Uh, and also there's a war crimes court for Kosovo, which is just about to issue its first indictments. That's just recently been in the news. So that's a Kosovan court under Kosovan law, but it's sitting in the Hague in the Netherlands. Right. It seems like they're going to issue indictments to a lot of the former leadership of the KLA, the Kosovo Liberation Army. Oh, right. That's good. Who, of course, now form most of the government. <laughs> mm-hmm. See how that goes then. Ald News. Remember, listeners, we'd very much like everybody to share and subscribe. So we're available on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Player FM, and all your favourite podcast apps. And also on Intune Radio, and even through Amazon's Alexa. So like, rate, and subscribe, and reviews on iTunes, please. Thank you very much. Right, our next episode was Chernobyl. Mm. Now, you you I've, looked at something yes, about that, didn't you? my little bit. Did you hear, I don't think you did, you said you no, didn't. No, no. About the, the possibility of there having been another accident in Russia this year. So in October, the French government discovered traces of ruthenium 106 in the atmosphere which is a byproduct of nuclear reprocessing okay isn't normally in the atmosphere so they quickly went to the rest of europe and said can you test for this and germany and a dozen other countries discovered the same thing Oh, really? Romania being the worst affected. Right. And so, so they're the f- furthest east. Yeah. So the French sort of nuclear agency, whatever they're called, did some simulations sort of working out a, a map of where it had come from. Mm-hmm. And it appears to have started in the southern Urals. Right. So in Russia. Oh, uh, so there's something going on. Something leaking. And just very recently, Russia have sort of vaguely said, yes, we found high levels of radiation in that area. But that's it. That's all they've said. So, you see, do you think this smells of military processing of materials? It doesn't say that it's anything to do with, you know, plutonium production or anything like that. Just reprocessing of nuclear materials. This is so sad that the Russians would go down this road again. Yeah. Even the Soviet Union, after a couple of days, said, well, I suppose Chernobyl was so severe. 
Mm. There's no way they could it. hide it. Yeah. No, especially when the bells went off in the Norwegian place. I mean, modern Russia had the uh, the Kursk disaster, and mm. they tried to hide that in the full glare of the press. They were made to look very silly. Yeah. and cruel and uncaring when they finally asked for help everybody sort of rushed to help them yeah it no like all political divisions were forgotten no we'll go help these sailors so it's just it has that feeling to it yeah doesn't it's, it it feels the same they, they can't get out of the habit they yeah. just they just can't i mean beyond soviet times that's what russia has always been like you're asking them to but well, I'm saying you're asking them. I'm asking We're them. asking them. Yeah, we the West. To become open, and they don't know how, is my opinion. They probably just see that as weak. Possibly. I mean, strength is such a thing, isn't it, in Russian identity, you know, that yeah. the country must be strong, our... Like a Russian bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a reason why that holds resonance, you know, because it's, yeah. it's the apex predator, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've always found it strange how Russia is also the motherland. Yeah, not that's the fatherland. Sort of, yeah, whereas the German, like the Prussians, is the fatherland, isn't yeah. it? And I've always wondered whether there was something in the psychology of that, or is that just like faux Freudianism? I don't know. Yeah. No idea. I've never really understood because that's the thing we don't have at all, do we? No. Throughout history, even even at the height of the empire, yeah, people in Australia and New Zealand and so on might have referred to Britain as the mother country, but it was a little bit tongue in cheek all the time. But certainly in Britain, we didn't. They, they took their duty to the mother country very seriously. That like I that think ret- the governments that, did, uh, maybe, and the yeah. the upper echelons. But I would say. The normal working Australian, even back then, would have probably not as much as the would now. I mean, it would be a, a total joke now. Oh yeah, you'd get laughed out of town. Yeah, well, they would do it just to wind us up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and to, to, you're good on them. <laughs> but I think it's it certainly held resonance. I mean, that rhetoric held resonance when when you know, when things like the Second World War happened, hmm. and there was strong movements yeah. to in those countries to support we, the mother country. Then, yeah, the, but it, we didn't. The, the difference is that it wasn't Mother Britain. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't Father Britain. No, it was it loyalty was, to the king. Yeah, that took us down a road I didn't expect. Yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> Weird. Old news. Next episode was Raoul Moat. We don't have, I don't anything, think I have anything to say about that. Other than it's easy to bash the local press. The local press is important. We should support it because it's a dying thing. Yeah. But it is important. But oh, the local paper did this terrible thing where they went to look at the sites of past crimes then Let's and now. Name and shame. The Evening the, Chronicle. The Evening Chronicle. Yeah. Oh, it's so crass. I, I just find it very crass. Okay, so historical things, maybe it's from like 50 years ago or more, kind of fair news. Yeah. That's at a distance. Something that's kind of just so recent. Ugh, no. It's old news! Hong Kong. Quite, mm. a, quite a lot to talk about Hong Kong. That. Mm-hmm. No, obviously we talked about the uh, turn in '97. There was a th- story that you mentioned about Hong Kong. So the... the thing I've got that I thought would be interesting to talk about is that Beijing have just passed a law to make it illegal to disrespect the Chinese national anthem and it's expected to be waived through the Hong Kong legislature Okay, uh, because obviously that's dominated by Beijing 
loyalists. Um, loyalists. Yeah. Because there have been quite a lot of cases of booing and jeering and rude gestures during it <laughs> in public forums and sporting events. Right. Notably, I quite like this, notably at uh, the World Cup qualifying match against Qatar. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the pastor law where you can be jailed for three years for making fun of the national anthem. And I did just think, which country does that sound a little bit like? Well, God, it's going to help us if we were to kneel during our Chinese national anthem, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. What I take from Hong Kong is how there's large populations in China that are desperate to embrace democracy. Democracy is coming, and it might be in a Chinese form. So despite the fact there's been this whole thing about Xi Jinping has been declared the core of the party, (laughs) core with air quotes that I'm doing on the radio, the reckon he's had got more power than anybody since Chairman Mao. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know little red cookbooks and all of that power is extremely centralized but knowledge isn't centralized the way it used to be the population is becoming educated and the story that i had out of hong kong was the booksellers case and is that i think you've come across it rings a bell but you're gonna have to remind me right so there's a, a small booksellers small publishers uh, in hong kong where five of their members of staff would disappeared and they've all been bound on the mainland side of the border Right, And so the assumption is that the Chinese state security services have been across the border, grabbed these people and renditioned them or whatever to China. So obviously that's a breach of Hong Kong's independence or sort of quasi status. And this bookseller apparently is a bit of a target because it sells books that are critical of the regime Mm -hmm. or even just analytical of the regime, you know, kind of like Western publications about People's Republic of China. China. So obviously the Chinese are happy about that and so they've taken these folk and this one of them is supposed to have been released and yet his daughter has yet to see him so the right. Chinese government have said oh yeah he's released he's free but where is we he we still then? don't know where he is mm-hmm. yeah which is really sad Britain took exception to this ongoing problem because it's a violation of the one country two systems agreement to which we're still a signatory right yeah so it's quite strange that we still have a bit of a link a link in a way yeah and we're still taking positions like we're not just saying that this is an internal Chinese issue but we think it's a violation of human rights and China should behave itself we're actually seeing it from a like from an international law point of view that Mm -hmm. it's actually a violation of our treaty yeah yeah, which is interesting. And actually, a lot of the other countries that have supported us, Sweden, Germany, uh, a lot of other people, they've actually taken the same view, that they mm-hmm. think China aren't meeting their international obligations. Yeah. So interesting that British-Chinese... Well, Sino-British declaration on the status of Hong Kong, whatever it was. That's obviously the stick that everybody has picked up to beat China over the head with. They need to really stop kidnapping people. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> You know, extra as if that needed to be said. Yeah, it's it's bad when the state kidnaps its own citizens. It's old news. Digital switchover was the next episode, which was again another one of these kind of weedy parochial issues we covered. Yeah. But this one, bizarrely, was quite successful in terms of listenership. How strange! I wonder how how that sort of panned out abroad. But anyway, Nigeria are going for digital switchover. Hmm. So that's 
that's the latest thing. Yeah, you were asking about it, whether it's like a rollout or a switchover. It is actually a switchover. So they're just getting rid of analog altogether for everything, for radio and TV. Well, for TV. For TV. Because they were saying that people have access to set-top boxes and things. Mm -hmm. So there must be a lot of traditional-style televisions still out there. I think that says something about how certainly my prejudice was exposed about kind of African countries. Oh, well, you know, they have TV. It surprised me that, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, they're going for digital telly, but maybe it's that Western Africa is. It's powering ahead. It is. Yeah, Yeah, you forget that that is going to become a a rich, powerful, influential part of the world in the next... 50 years. Yeah, in the next few decades at least. Old news. And the next one was about Czechoslovakia. So do you have anything to say about 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 that? Well, I have very little to say about Czechoslovakia uh, other than they seem very keen on calling themselves Czechia. Uh, in the Czech Republic now. That's becoming more and more common. Is it? Yeah, I've, I've noticed it in the press a few times, Czech here or whatever. Yeah, it's their right. But you know, why do we need another country ending in IA? Uh, yeah. Far too many of them. I thought Catalonia has sort of happened since we did that episode. Well, Catalonia's existed for quite a while, but the whole political situation there has happened. It's been kind of the latest European separatist sort of movement of really kind of gathered steam and done something and uh, it has failed like in a big way it's it really failed now yeah yeah it's burned itself out but there was a friend of mine from slovenia made a very good point because oh okay just slovenia not slovakia yeah slovenia right. so okay. former part of the of yugoslavia okay mm-hmm. so she was saying about when they had the independence referendum in slovenia it was a 90 percent yes votes mm-hmm. on a turnout of like 85 percent right it is decisive you only do those sorts of plebiscites when you absolutely know the outcome yeah yeah, and you do it, it lends legitimacy it's a statement the whole population comes out and says this is what we're going to do by a large margin and so Slovenia is clearly independent at that point it's, it's had an independent existence Catalonia knew that the referendum they were calling was illegal mm-hmm. and the opposition refused to take part so you've got sort of a massive vote in favour of a, on a turnout of like 30% or something? 30-35% something like that. Yeah. That has nil legitimacy at all. Yeah. Compare that to the approach of the Scottish National Party. Yeah. Much as I may disagree with Scotland separating like that, it was a constitutional process. Everyone agreed. Everyone campaigned fairly. And the result was a clear decision mm-hmm. with lots of participation. Yeah. yeah. It was more divided and more close than I think people expected. Czechoslovakia did it peacefully. They called it the Velvet Divorce. Scotland tried it peacefully and legally and it turned out the population didn't support it and Catalan's just a mess. It's all... New Orleans was our next episode and we got a lot of people from abroad who who listened to that really enjoyed it in, yeah. in, including people people from New Orleans from New Orleans yeah. who who were in New Orleans during the hurricane yeah yeah so that, that I was really proud of that I think one thing's which I mean I don't have much to say on the status of New Orleans currently but certainly the hurricane maria that happened earlier this year mm-hmm. And the devastation it wrought upon Puerto Rico yep. and the lack of he- 
help that was forthcoming mm-hmm. to fix Puerto Rico. Does that sound familiar? It does. Yeah, because one place is black and the other place doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, they're mostly brown. Yeah, they're slightly brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so depressing, isn't it? It's so easy to bash America, you know. And let us not forget the enormous public support for charities doing recovery work and yeah. whatever. The people of the USA always rise to these occasions, you know, because they're, they're enormously generous, enormously gregarious people. But the federal government, bonkers, you yeah. know. I've been a supporter of statehood for Puerto Rico for a long time because to me it just makes sense. It's bananas this sort of quasi it's, it's yeah. a colony isn't yes, it yes it's a colony <laughs> whichever way you slice it the, the, the country that wanted to not be a colony has a colony still in the 21st century it's ironic isn't it the Hawaii which is clearly an occupied place <laughs> It's now a state. It's now a state, right? And there's a certain amount of people in Hawaii they are still not terribly keen on that. Yet the one bit that generally does want to join, mm-hmm. like, and I mean, it's not universal, but there's a very strong support for it in Puerto Rico. I did once, I think, accidentally end up supporting uh, statehood for Puerto Rico when I used to work on the cruise ships. There was one year the cruise ship used to turn around in San Juan. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I used to have a certain amount of time off in port. And at uh, one time I, I kind of wondered, it was like 10 minute walk up the road into the center of town in San Juan, the, the central square. It was a very nice place to be. And there's cafes, restaurants, go do a bit of shopping or whatever. And the one time there was a political rally happening in the middle of the square. And I kind of got caught in the crowd. <laughs> and there was a, a very, a very vociferous speech in Spanish going on. Da da da, da da da. Hey, applause. Da da da. And I was like, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Because everybody else was agreeing yes. and it seemed like a wise thing to do since I was in the crowd. <laughs> Performing seal agrees. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think, I suspect it was about statehood for Puerto Rico amongst various other issues. Yeah, I spent five minutes very strongly agreeing with something politically in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> but the destruction, I mean, to get more serious, mm. the destruction that was wrought by the hurricanes, terrible. But I was just reading about their uh, their power company, you know, the, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, $9 billion in debt and had already filed for bankruptcy before. Mm-hmm. And apparently their electric grid was just incredibly weak very old underinvested disaster they'd already shed 30 percent of their staff in the years before and the median age of their power plants is 44 years right developed westernized part of the western hemisphere mm-hmm. what went wrong there a lot of republicans would say democratic administration of puerto rico there's some truth to that that administration hasn't been great for a long time. But you'd think if they were part if they were part of the wider economy of the US, like without any kind of internal border, they'd be on a better footing for investment in infrastructure or whatever. Yeah. But I suppose investment in infrastructure in continental US is a big political issue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. roads, highways, railways, waterways, uh, levies, levies, mm-hmm. right? This perhaps might be an interesting case in point. Yeah, so their electric grid was incredibly weak, and then sort of eighty-five percent of the country went off supply like when the hurricane struck. And you imagine just go back to the Stone Age, yeah, doing it without electricity. So, all sympathy to them, and I hope they get the money and the investment they need pretty quick yeah. to rebuild.
old news. Exoplanets, exoplanets. I really enjoyed this episode too. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah. But because uh, we talked about aliens, which was great. But again, back in the news again, we talked a little bit about the general feeling was there was going to be a lot of habitable planets. Yeah, because they had decided the habitable zone would be bigger than we had previously thought. That was the latest thing when we made the episode. Yeah, it was going to be bigger than previously thought. And uh, we were looking for them around red dwarfs, because red dwarfs are some kind of cooler stars, Mm. whatever. But there's a new study come out about the effect of the stellar wind coming off stars and saying that you might have a surface temperature that's sort of good for liquid water, but it's no good if you've got a massive stellar wind of particles coming past you that just blows the atmosphere away. Yeah. (laughs) You end up like Mars. Mm. I suppose that's a bit of an unknown, isn't it? Because we don't know whether any of these planets maybe have iron cores. Because that's the big thing, having the magnetosphere. Mm -hmm. Earth has an iron core which gives it the its magnetic field, which protects us from the solar wind. I suppose we could maybe infer, you know, given the size of the planet and its mass and its speed of rotation, uh, speed of orbit and whatever, we might be able to guess whether it has an iron core, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, so it seems like the habitable zones around these particular stars might be smaller than we thought, and it might not be as fruitful for a search for extraterrestrial life. There's still many thousands, just not many, many thousands. Yeah, yeah, the universe is still a big place. And there's this new planet which has sort of been discovered called WASP-18b. Which has got to be, that's got to have living things on it. Yeah, but apparently not because it's described as like a hot Jupiter, but largely made of carbon monoxide. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of this new kind of exotic type planet, but it's... And they were talking about the planets where it's like it's raining suntan lotion because they have like titanium oxide in the air, in the atmosphere, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And it kind of rains this stuff. I imagine that's quite hot. <laughs> imagine the mining opportunities there, though. Put something in orbit, big scoop, get some of the, we'd uh, never the want factor for, 50. We'd never want for white paint again, would, yeah. would we? Yeah. Like we could whitewash the universe. <laughs> <laughs> all that titanium oxide. Old news. Exxon Valdez happened. I don't think we have much to say about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, see also the Channel Tunnel. Obviously, mm-hmm. border debate about Brexit and so on. But I'm so bored of Brexit. Oh, Brexit's quite poisonous. Let's move on. <laughs> the next one was the Boxing Day tsunami, which was about more death and destruction. But there was an interesting article, which unfortunately came from the Daily Fascist. Sorry, the Daily Mail. <laughs> Uh, and also uh, Russia today. Russia today. I was going to say Pravda. Yeah. <laughs> Although Pravda still exists. Yes. Does it? Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? What's yeah. the other one? What was the other one called? The, the news, which I can never remember the Russian name for the news, because the joke, because Pravda is the truth. Right. And the other newspaper was the news, because Pravda was the newspaper of the CPSU, the Communist Party, and uh, the news was kind of the state, state. paper. Right. And so the joke used to be that there's no truth in the news and no news in the truth. Right. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so in New Zealand, because there was the earthquake in 2016, you know, did a lot of damage in uh, Wellington? No. Nope. Wellington, no. Auckland? No. Nope. No. Christchurch? Christchurch. Name a New Zealand city, crumbs, that's terrible. Right, I've just so. done three. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough. Yes, a bit disrespectful of the victims, though. That's anyway. all three people. <laughs> and lots of sheep. There's been two. You know what? We can make as much fun of New Zealanders as we like. We've only had 18 downloads from New Zealand. 
<laughs> We've got more downloads in Germany than New Zealand. You know, there's two countries that have been the butt of our jokes continuously so far. New Zealand and Belgium. Like, the, <laughs> almost every episode, there's a snide remark about one or the other. Anyway, yeah, so there's one of the, the big subduction faults uh, in the Earth's crust. It's been dormant for many centuries and it's become active again it's kind of off the coast of the south island and that's become active because after the 2016 earthquake the stresses have moved around you know I mean, i've got a friend who does geophysics she would be able to sort of explain exactly how that works but they're saying that this particular type of fault and the size of it potentially has the ability to to do a, a an earthquake sort of of similar sizes to the boxing day tsunami Mm-hmm. and also the Japan earthquake in 2011, which of course puts New Zealand at risk of an enormous tsunami. I mean, they all already are at risk of tsunamis anyway, but the fact this new fault, well, these old faults become reactivated, I think is of concern. Like everything else, you know, like in San Francisco, they're still waiting for the big one, yeah. aren't they? And that's how many, 20 years overdue, mm. isn't it? Nobody knows when it's going to come. Oh. So it could be fine for another 300 years. Who mm. knows? Old news. Bit of feedback on the BSC episode right. about uh, Mad Cow. So we had Alex linked us to a news story because we mentioned about the egg crisis in that episode. Mm. With Edwina Curry. With Edwina Curry and Salmonella and eggs. And it's just been sort of declared that Salmonella is largely eradicated from mm. poultry and eggs in the UK. Yeah. Sort of not really a problem anymore. That's you can now eat your raw eggs. Eat raw eggs, steak tartare tonight. No. I don't get it. I don't. There's, there's people at work who go, oh, I need my protein. Crack a few raw eggs. Glug, glug, glug. Why? Why would you? Because they don't even taste it. They just neck it. Neck it down. Is there any real difference between cooked and uncooked protein? Because the body will just know. process it down it into be... amino acids anyway. So. Yeah. I, mean, I quite like soft eggs, you know, egg with a soft yolk and dipping your bread in. And, yeah. yeah, and I quite like, uh, you know, when you get uh, an omelette, you know, with a, like a soft centre. I'll, I'll, I see. I don't like that. Yeah, I've come round to that over time. Mm. So long as it's not runny raw, you know, mm-hmm. but just not cooked absolutely solid hard. Yeah. But that's good news for the egg industry anyway, and mm-hmm. shows that our agriculture is is not all terrible. Uh, Katie got back to us, and in the 1990s she had uh, a small flock of sheep right, uh, yes. that she, she used to keep, and she was saying that even despite the, the ban on certain types of animal feed or whatever, apparently there was still a lot of concern and campaigning from farmers that they were being sold feed pellets and it still wasn't labelled as to what was in it. Right. Yeah. And so despite restrictions came in, when farmers, particularly small farmers, organic farmers, and, you know, well, just responsible producers, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to know, well, what's actually in my feed? Tell me. The feed producers couldn't or wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm led to believe eventually the rules changed uh, and you know, it all got sorted. But there were... That's agribusiness, isn't it? Sort of dragging its feet, you know. Yep. 
because having been caught out once, oh, we wouldn't want to be open to try and prevent it again. again in the future. Yeah. Old news. The Human Genome Project in the news just the other day about a new experimental treatment, and it's to do with something that causes blindness, by what I understand. They're talking about changing somebody's genes in a similar way to the Jesse Gelsinger case, which we discussed, you know, the, the young lad that died. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly, that story, which had sort of been quite resonant then, uh, has been mentioned in almost all of the coverage of this new experiment, you know. So, it's interesting to hear that finally, after that setback, this sort of research is finally sort of starting to happen. And yeah. Eee, Henny, it's old newsman! Of course, our last episode was the Baltic. Yeah. Uh, the Baltic Arts Centre. And again, we've got a bit of feedback. We've got a bit of excellent right. feedback, didn't, didn't yeah. we? So, uh, Haley from the last Tuesday project that you may be aware of. Aware of now, which we'll talk about that. Yeah. Lives in Gateshead. Uh, she sent quite a long email and several tweets. I won't, I won't read the whole email. First of all, she said it was a great episode, so... Thank, Thank you, you Haley. Yeah, that's nice. She's lived in Gated for five years after being a bit of a sniffy Novacastrian, <laughs> which is someone from Newcastle. Who lives north of the river. Yep. Yeah. Has, has come to like it, has come to enjoy it. She still finds the art uh, befuddling in right. the Baltic and often feels underwhelmed, much like we do. Right, okay. When, when we've been. But she enjoys going and enjoys the feeling of cognitive dis- dissonance. <laughs> the, the sort of the feeling proud uh-huh. of this being in her hometown, yeah. but not really getting the yeah. art. She mentions that it is used for other things, so you can have your wedding in there. And they do Halloween parties. She's mm. been to a Halloween party. Firewalking events, charity firewalking events. She's done several of, I believe. Right. And she mentioned Baltic Square. Which we didn't mention. Right, so okay. in front of that the Baltic, big open area, there's a they big have, like, plaza. Yeah, like plaza is a good word called the Baltic Square, and it is used for a lot of outdoor events, it which is. we didn't bring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's been and used for filming things. And yeah, yeah. well, they had uh, that charity run, um, the, the one that goes all the way across Hadrian's Wall, that ended across the Millennium Bridge and then the actual finish line was on the Baltic Square. Yeah. yeah. So that was a good point that we missed. And she believes that if it did close, we mentioned that if it closed, maybe people wouldn't care so much, whereas mm. there maybe would for the sage. She thinks not. She thinks there would be a lot of sadness Right, in so she, took the Pe- view. she yeah, thinks people good. have become quite attached to it and are quite proud of it. Then she mentioned that there is quite a lot of dereliction still on the Gateshead side because we were saying how nice the quayside mm. is, and it is Im- immeasurably nicer. Yeah, because you've uh, got the Gateshead College there as well, as yeah, well as all the yeah. residential bits. Yeah. But she did mention mention a few things that'll bring back some memories. <laughs> so, for example, there's still the moorings for the Tuxedo Royale. Stroke Tuxedo Princess. Yeah, which, which was an old ferry that was uh, made into a nightclub that was berthed up against the uh, the quay there. Yeah. Yeah, and there was famously... Sticky uh, floors. <laughs> I never F- went on there. Famously the revolving dance floor. Yeah. Where if you stood in the wrong place, you would go under the stairs and bash your head. <laughs> oh, really? Happened to me several times, because obviously I'm that was, stupid. Was alcohol a factor? But alcohol would always be, be a factor. factor. But to be honest, I could be there sober as a judge and still bang my head on the revolving dance floor, oh, really, dear. couldn't I? Also, uh, she mentioned that Buffalo Joe's and Baja. Yeah, the two big nightclubs that were along along yeah. the nightclub that bars. They're yeah. still just there, empty, rotting. Yeah. Not 
being used. Yeah, well, I think that like the broader picture there is because the the Newcastle Key developed by opening up all those old buildings, the old wharfs and things into bars and that kind of entertainment. Yeah. And so Gateshead was the natural extension of that because you could just walk across the bridge and you know, there were more bars and there, yeah. there were great spots at the time. They were I, I got rather drunk in there as a student a number of times. Problem being, though, a little bit difficult to get to. Yeah, this, they're always slightly out of the way. There was that sort of extra a few hundred metres to walk across the bridge. Yeah. But then I think they were caught by the fact that A, they were novelty bars and they were always going to go out, the novel, go out of yeah. fashion. But B, kind of just the broader trend of less people going out drinking, mm-hmm. like post the smoking ban and all that, those bars were always going to be a bit vulnerable and yeah. they were the first to go. So you have that sort of element of. I suppose it's failed redevelopment, isn't it? It's yeah. development that happened and then closed maybe two, three, four years later. The whole key hasn't been successfully redeveloped, no. is the way to think about that. She finished with a few suggestions of what she would like to see. She thinks underneath the Tyne Bridge itself would be perfect for a museum stroke venue and she can imagine a, like a row of community of art studios and craft alehouses. <laughs> now, is it, is, it, is it surprising that Haley came up with the idea of craft ale houses down <laughs> there? Is, yeah. yeah, it isn't. But I, I think more residential yeah. down there would be the way ahead, wouldn't it? Yeah, so that there's people to actually use the facilities. Yeah. They could have some you know, micro-breweries and what have you. Yeah. And, but and if you've got people living there, you've got... Yeah, because they've already got people living sort of further down the river there now, haven't they, in that kind of new development there. So, yeah, it's very difficult to use all of this land productively. I think you need mixed uses, so I think Haley has a point there. Yeah, it's a good idea. And that brings us up to date. And that was the podcast that was. I suppose the the one episode we haven't mentioned was our joint episode with uh, the Last Tuesday Project, which Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. I think we covered a very difficult, very challenging subject. I think you can sometimes hear in that recording... People being very hesitant. Hesitant, a bit nervous, a bit... I was very shy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I think I think we did well. I think we did a good job. We may not have been 100% right all the time. We may have trodden on toes once or twice. I haven't had any feedback. No, and we shouldn't be frightened. We shouldn't be frightened of speaking about difficult issues. And they did that fantastic jingle for us. Yeah, we've just come up with a plan, a possible plan to get back at them. <laughs> Is that the right term? <laughs> I've, I've also almost promised I'm going to do the Halinator. Oh, right. Excellent. <laughs> now that I've got ammo. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, but we, we needed to do that and... Uh, Perhaps what we need to do now is uh, invite some guests onto the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting aspect. Some something we could do to expand our. Because one of the things we did, I'd forgotten that Haley offered to help us with the Human Genome Pro yes. Project, and then we went and recorded the episode, completely forgetting about that it. That offered. <laughs> oh dear, Oops. how embarrassing! Sorry. I'm. Oh, I met her. You know. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Went for a pint. Funnily enough. Oh, you did invite me? No, you weren't around. Oh, I was on board uh, ship, was I? Uh, yeah, you were at uh, work. Yeah. Oh yeah. What was, because um, she knows my friend Steve. Ah, uh, right. So they were going out and just invite me along. And I was taking photographs for our Baltic episode. Right. Uh, so I wandered up all the way from 
the quayside. All the way to be the for a pint. Yep. Oh, excellent. Yeah, well, brilliant. Friends in podcasting land, we mm. need to find some more. <laughs> but yeah. If the listeners want to get in touch, please do. Or the usual thing, if you've got any ideas for shows. Yes. And uh, of course, if you still want to make an old news sting, you still can. Just still record accept the words them. old news in any format you wish. Yep. In any kind of silly voice you like. <laughs> and we'll include you. Mm-hmm. So hopefully our next episode will be something uh, in our traditional format. Yeah. But have we decided what it is yet? Nope. Now's your chance to come with a new idea then. As usual, we'd like to thank Peter Kitson, Haley, Stephen and Eddie N for the use of their voices and bensound.com for the use of the royalty-free music. Old news. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Invent better names for yourselves, world. The United Kingdom demands better naming policies. Check here. Boring name, excellent flag. <laughs>